Uh, For many of us, the last couple of weeks, at least up until this last Wednesday when the rain came, um, it was a a pretty intense time. Some people left town, which is great. You escaped the smoke. Um, But I I don't say lightly. I I know that some people have uh, been affected by this, um, and you probably know people who have been very affected. Uh, but, But as I was first preparing this, I came across an article, and it had this hazy, smoky picture of the Golden Gate Bridge, which, as all of us know, if you've lived in San Francisco for any amount of time or in the Bay Area, or maybe just if you're a human in the world, you know the, San, the Golden Gate Bridge as this iconic landmark that you can pay, what is it, $6? How much is it now? $8? I'm not sure. To get across the bridge. But I was reading this article about what was going on with the campfire, about how it was affecting all of us. And yes, I thought about the N95 masks. I thought about how every single day I was checking um, the climate. I hope I don't spit on you. I'm just trying to be able to also see this. We can talk later. (laughs) You're like, well, see you later. Okay. Not going to be besties. Not not tonight. Um, What's your name? What is it? Winston. Winston. So nice to meet you. (laughs) Kara. Hi. I was, I, but you never know. I'm just getting started. Um, I thought about how I was checking the climate um, to see if it was safe to go outside, to see um, if, if we could even leave the house, if we should even go to the beach, if, 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 all of these ifs. Um, I was swimming in fear to an extent. Um, but again, I don't say lightly 150,000 acres burned, nearly 19,000 buildings lost. Last count, I read 84 lives lost, so I don't put that lightly. But as I was initially preparing for tonight's message, I looked at this article and I stared at this picture. And in a way, I imagined myself driving across the Golden Gate Bridge and how when I drive across it, which doesn't happen very often, but when I do, there's something almost magical and surreal about being in this place and being enveloped between Marin and San Francisco and experiencing that, and whether it's the first time or another time. I also thought about how sometimes when a whole lot of fog or a whole lot of haze and smoke covers it, made me go, well, is it, is it still there? Well, of course it's still there. Is it not as powerful? Does it not do the job that it set out to do? Well, of course It still transports cars and maybe makes money for the state of California and still serves as an iconic landmark, even if we can't see it. And it was almost a, if a tree falls in the forest and somebody isn't there to hear it, did it really fall? Well, of course. And I say all of that because it made me think of grace. And the passage that Dave gave me this evening, when I first looked at it, I I thought, where is grace in this? In a series about Colossians, in a series about the grace and gravity of Christ, in a series that is buoyed and just resting in grace, I kept reading over Colossians 2, 16 through 23, and I was like, where is grace? It is not even mentioned here. We do not see the words. They are not sticking off the page. This is not what the rest of Colossians was. Colossians 1 
a lot of one. It's like Paul is just sprinkling confetti bits of grace. He's like, grace and peace to you, church. And all of us then in response 2,000 years later, we're like, we love this grace and peace. And we read that in chapter 1, and we read that in the first half, the first 15 verses of chapter 2. And then in a month or so after Advent, you'll read about it in chapter 3. You'll again see this grace. You'll be reminded that we are God's people, God's holy and dearly loved people. But in this section tonight, I was like, where's the grace, man? But I say that. Because the grace is still just as present. The bridge is still just as present and just as magnificent and just as glorious and just as iconic and just as workable. I don't know what the word would be. But it works just as well, even if it's sometimes covered by the fog or by the haze and by the smoke. And in that way, as we jump into the second half of Colossians, I want you to think for a second about what it means to believe and to sense and to be buoyed by grace, even if grace doesn't stick out so blatantly on the page. Look right now um, and or flip open a Bible or a cell phone app to Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Tonight we're talking about what it means to rethink, reimagine, and recast grace. Maybe especially if we don't quite see it upon first glance. So the first thing we are rethinking grace. And rethinking grace means remembering, next slide, that the substance is Christ. Without turning all the way back, I want us to look at the next one and to think about substance for a second. When I think about substance, I'm not sure, first of all, why I pulled a picture from the Olive Garden and all this glutinous food. I try to be gluten-free. It helps with some arthritis pain, but man, give me some bread. 
and pizza and gluten. But this last week, maybe not for all of us, but for many of us, we were filled with the substance of food, of family, maybe of family drama, maybe of my favorite Thanksgiving appetizer clam dip. My cousin Cameron, he once brought this vat to Thanksgiving in Nevada City one year. He said, I'm coming the day before, and he brought this vat of clam dip like that big. Cameron's a bartender. He lives his best life. He's awesome. And ever since that year, it was probably 2004 or 2005, I was like, I'm eating clam dip in honor of Cameron Schumacher every year. And by God, it's my favorite appetizer. I had it for dinner last night. It's incredible. I heard you guys are pretty chill, so I can sometimes go off on little clam dip appetizer tangents. But we think about the substance, and the substance to our lives as humans is to have food, is to have water, is to have something that will continue to keep us going so that we have energy, so that we can think, so that we don't get hangry. We don't need to talk about this too much without realizing that, yes, we need substance. And likewise, the substance to our faith is Christ. The substance of our faith and of this grace is Christ. So in verse 16, when Paul writes, therefore or so, if we were really doing an exegetical study, we were reading things verse by verse, we would go and we would look at what he had said beforehand in the first 15 verses of chapter 2. So think back to a couple weeks ago, but he talked about forgiveness through Christ alone. He talked about how Christ kind of stomped out the powers and the principalities. And it's that reminder that through Christ we have been forgiven. You are forgiven. So then he says, so, in this forgiveness, pretend like there's a parenthesis around that, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Now, I didn't put the food picture up there because he just mentions food right there, but I put it up there because then the next verse 16, which we'll get to in a minute, he talks about the substance of Christ. And again, the substance of Christ is the substance of our faith. It is the substance of grace. But in 16, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. Again, think about who he was originally writing to. Who was he writing to? Colossians. The church. He was writing to the church. He wrote this, they say, uh, probably around 50 So it's 2000 and late right now. It's 2018. Wake y'all up a little bit. So nearly 2,000 years ago, when he was in prison, around the same time that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, a.k.a. Ephesians, he wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote to that church. And these were the things that they were struggling with. Even though they were starting to gravitate around the person of Christ and the grace that comes with Christ... They were still kind of tripping over the legalism of what they should eat and drink. Of the things that the Mosaic law proclaimed would make you more loved by God. 
would make God love you more, would make you a better religious person. And that's why it's almost like in the middle of it, he's saying, no, it is not this stuff. It is grace. It is Christ. Do you see, imagine that smoky, hazy San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. The bridge is still there. The grace of Christ is still there. Because he's saying, it is not these things right here. It is Christ. It is the substance of Christ. The old shadow of things has gone, and the new reality, who his Christ, has come. Right? He's also the guy who wrote to the Corinthians. So we kind of just lifted that verse, the old is gone, the new has come. But this Christ is the new reality. So then in verse 16, when he says, these things, these foods, these drinks, these new moons, these Sabbath festivals are only a shadow of what is to come. This is not what it's about, but the substance of who you are in your life and faith belongs to Christ. And this Christ is grace. Do you see how it's almost like grace is after every single or in every single word? When Dave initially told me that I was going to preach on grace, and again, I kind of like got slit-eyed told it toward him because I was like, I don't see the grace. I printed out the passage a couple times in a couple of different versions, and then I wrote, okay, here's Dave's definition of gravity of being grounded, of Christ holding all things together, grounding our stories, pulling these different disparate threads together. And this is grace, that life found in Christ isn't based on rules, right? That's what we were just reading. And it's not based on knowledge, and it's not based on achievement, but it is based on the work and reconciliation and the resurrection and the new life found in Christ. And so after every sentence, I was like, is that gravity or is that grace? And Dave didn't tell me I needed to do that, but I just get kind of nerdy, right? Grace, 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 grace. With a bit of gravity thrown in there too. But this is grace. And doing all those things is not is not grace that is not Christ it is not the substance so what does it mean then for us to go back and to rethink this grace what would that look like in your life to rethink that which you sometimes has have believed you need to do in order to be loved more by god when really The substance is Christ, and here then is the grace. I assume since the children are coming in, I need to talk faster. The second one is, excuse me, there's one more quote right after this, and I just loved it. The real substance, again, is Jesus, the body. The substance is of Christ. These things only foreshadowed. So the Sabbath day was only a foreshadowing of the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. For he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. The second thing, if we are reimagining grace, for Christ is the substance, we are also rethinking grace. So if we look at the next slide, we we reimagine grace for the source of life is Christ. 
what does it mean to kind of put new ways of thinking around the old things as well? It's kind of funny that Faye, and I've never met Faye, I don't think, maybe in a former life, but that Faye came up here and talked about the 10-week gathering that's going to happen. Where's Faye? Oh, she's in with the kids. Sorry, Faye, talking about you. But the illustration that I had planned, which I know feels cheesy, but this is what you're supposed to do, and I was, I was telling some other folks, I had written out a whole section about what I was going to say in this second part about reimagining grace, and then I'm like, I already wrote this in my book, man. Why don't I just bring the, the advanced copy and read that little section? Because this is a section about me learning how to reimagine grace. And part of it was learning to reimagine Christ and who Jesus is literally apart from whiteness. So I'm going to read you a little section. And then we'll get back to Colossians, but I think it goes together. This is on page 104. If anybody wants to pre-order this for the February 5th release date, The Color of Life by Kara Meredith. As a child, I often wandered the hallways of our little Baptist church, gazing at prominently displayed pictures of Jesus, the Lamb of God, meekly holding an innocent lamb in one hand and a simple wooden staff in the other. Jesus, the light of the world, proclaiming good news to all, A gregarious smile spread across his face. Jesus, the Son of God, sitting on a rock all by himself as he talked to the Father. In all of these paintings, his skin, without an imperfection or a blemish, shone porcelain and white, kind of like mine. And in most of the pictures, he sported a perfect Californian tan, our Messiah, a brawny double for David Hasselhoff. A singular image was seared in my mind, making Jesus into an image of masculinity and gentleness, of hope and optimism, of confidence and whiteness. This was my Jesus. This was the Jesus I desperately wanted the rest of the world to know, and I wasn't alone. In the early 1940s, head of Christ by American artist Warner Salmon, became the standard image of Jesus for churches around the world. His depiction, complete with golden brown hair and suntan skin, was reproduced more than half a billion times by the end of the 20th century. The painting didn't merely grow in popularity, it exploded, altogether changing the way Christians and non-Christians alike imagine the Christ. Skipping ahead. But culturally, just as many of the paintings now regarded as famous were rendered by artists in Western Europe, many Western Europeans wanted to believe their God was fair-skinned. Not because they desired an image made in their their likeness, but because of the cultural baggage of the Crusades in which many non-whites were seen as non-believers. By deeming themselves superior to those with dark skin, white people passed down images of a lily-white Christ, images of a Jesus who looked more like them than like a Mediterranean man weathered by the elements of the sun and sea. It's no wonder an image of whiteness lived in my mind, both of what God must have looked like and also of what God's followers were supposed to look like. Part of reimagining 
Christ, who is the head, has been learning to imagine Jesus as who he was instead of as who I pictured him to be. I believe in 2001, the BBC came out with a phenomenal documentary called Jesus. I I, I say I believe. They really did. I just can't remember the year, but I think it was 2001. But this is how they depicted it. They said Jesus is not Warner Salmon's brawny David Hasselhoff double. But he actually maybe looked a little more like that. And for me, and I don't know about you, but part of the life of Christ and entering into the life of Christ and receiving this confetti sprinkling of grace every single day is saying, okay, Jesus, if you are the substance but you are also the head, then sometimes this means reimagining the things that I've always thought were just true. What does it mean to reimagine who Jesus was? What does it mean to reimagine the head? And what does that mean then for our faith and for our everyday lives now? What does it mean to reimagine who Jesus really is to us right here, right now, instead of the things and the walls and the people that we place in front of him. So in verses 18 and 19, which is where we're kind of focusing, if we focus the first two verses of chapter 16, uh, excuse me, verses 16 and 17, we looked at that for the substance. These two verses we look at for the head. Christ is the head. So what does it mean to reimagine him as such? In verse 18, again, Paul's talking to the church. And he says, don't let other people disqualify you because they think you're not running the race correctly. That was essentially what he was getting at. But he says, the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us, he is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. So what does it mean to reimagine this grace, to reimagine this head, to rewrite or to let our stories be rewritten? Sometimes that happens literally. In learning how to imagine who Jesus really was and believe who Jesus really was instead of who I had created him to be. The last thing is this, just as we, just as we um, rethink grace, we reimagine grace, and we then recast grace. And really, if you look at the last four verses, 20 through 23, he's kind of repeating the same argument again. But are you beginning to see how grace really is in every single sentence, in every single verse? Grace is the underlying factor, for Christ is the underlying factor. And so in the last four verses, there's a new section, but in this, what he says is, then if Christ is the substance, then if Christ is the head, then lean 
into this grace. Now, he doesn't technically say that in those four verses, but the whole idea as he goes into more things of not letting the people be, get all, they, he, he does not want them to get all tripped up by the rules and regulations, by that which is not grace. But he's saying it's not these things that you are believing make you closer to God. But he said all it is is Christ. This is the grace. If Christ is the substance and Christ is the head, then lean into this grace. It makes me wonder as we begin to wrap things up, but it makes me wonder how often grace buoys our every thought. I think about, and Dave was really excited about the ceratopsian picture here. I've never used a dinosaur picture in a slide in my whole life. But my life is overwhelmed by two small humans who are four and six-year-old boys. And maybe girls really like dinosaurs too. There's a show on Amazon Prime called Dino Dana that we've been consuming lately. It's phenomenal. If you're like nine. But we moved back to Oakland um, August 1st. It was a very unexpected move. We thought we would be in Seattle long term. Even though we had been, my husband and I collectively and separately, had been in the Bay Area for 15 and 22 years. But just as the as his job moved us up to Seattle, it moved us back here. And one of the things we've been leaning into in this Oakland Part 2 adventure that we find ourselves on is leaning into what it means to be together. So every single night, as my boys are um, falling asleep, if it's my turn to help them fall asleep that night, to read them their stories, we read two books. And then they say, Mama, can you tell us a story? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a super good storyteller. I would love to tell you guys a story. So every single night, they get to choose what characters they want to be. And almost every single night, we have a Ceratopsian dinosaur, of which a Triceratops is of the species Ceratopsian. Just let me know if you have any dinosaur questions later on this evening, or Jesus, but mostly dinosaurs. But what my children do not know is every single night when they choose to be a Ceratopsian, and usually a lion, and a diamond and a crystal, those are usually their top four items that they want in bedtime stories. And as I come up with these stories in my mind, they don't realize that every single story usually has the same elements. It has elements of being brave, It has elements of either the Ceratopsian dinosaur or the lion having to move because moving is really hard. And when you have to move across continents and oceans to go to a new place, it can make you feel pretty mad and sad. But we can do hard things. And every single story, I'm making it up as I go along, But it has those elements. It has elements of bravery. It has elements of moving. It has elements of starting over. It has elements that it's okay to feel sad and mad. It has elements of making new friends. And it's kind of the same thing retold as the lion king of lions and the ceratopsian dinosaur become friends at the end. 
And every night when I'm done, the boys are like, wow, mama, that was a good story. I'm like, I know. <coughs> but what they don't realize are the underlying element and elements that buoy that story. And when I think about this passage in Colossians, I can't help but think about this underlying element that buoys this story, this book, this narrative that we stake our lives to, which is grace. Christ, who is the substance, buoys this passage. Christ, who is the head, buoys this passage. And grace, even if we don't see the words jumping out at the page toward us, is in every sentence that Paul wrote to the church and to the Colossians. Grace marks every substance because if this is true, then we recast grace over and over again. Because if with Christ, because that's the whole point of the last one, if with, then if with, then it's Christ. Then if the head, then if the substance, then it's Christ. If with Christ we have grace, we have grace, we have grace, we have grace, we have grace. And we then recast this grace over and over again. Jesus, thank you that you are the substance. Thank you that you are the head. And we thank you that if then with this substance of you, and if then with this head who is you, that grace buoys and surrounds us. We thank you that that's all we need. We lean into that today. We rest in that. We lean into you. Amen.